November each year heralds Global Bookkeeping Week here in Australia and other parts of the world. And it is absolutely fantastic to have you joining us at this time on episode 11 of Heart of the Bookkeeper as we celebrate the journey of yet another amazing individual in our bookkeeping community and all bookkeepers around the world. My name is Rob Marshall and this is a podcast all about bookkeepers helping bookkeepers helping business and is brought to you by the Institute of Certified Bookkeepers. In this episode, we delve into the life and journey of ICB director and longtime bookkeeper in practice, Melissa Foote. Melissa has an amazing and very positive story to tell in this episode, despite her many and at times very significant challenges as a bookkeeper and in life generally. We talk about her battle with a major health issue, the recent loss of a husband and life partner, and of a disease rarely spoken about here in Australia. But we also talk about earrings. We look at life through a glass half full and plenty of bookkeeping lessons for all to benefit from. So sit back and enjoy episode 11, Melissa Foote. Our guest today on Heart of the Bookkeeper is somebody who's very experienced and very respected in the bookkeeping community, and yet she refers to herself often as an accidental bookkeeper. She's the owner of and managing director of Bloom 8 Global. She's a self-confessed tech geek, but she's known by her friends often as that crazy dog lady. (laughs) She's also a qualified chef and speaks fluent Vietnamese, but most importantly... And this is the absolute first thing we're going to kick off with in this um, episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper is that she rocks some of the most outstanding earrings I think I've ever seen. So, Melissa Foote, welcome to Heart of the Bookkeeper. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Rob. It's an absolute honour and pleasure to be here. So, tell us... Earrings. Is this something you go out of your, you know, do you shop exclusively around the world looking for some of the most stunning earrings I think I've ever seen? I think I've mentioned to you a couple of times, you, you know, in meetings and stuff like that. You know, I find it hard not to go straight to the earrings. They're pretty amazing. So tell me about the earrings. Well, I do have a lot of them. They're, I've got a, a, I've got a big wardrobe and a lot of accessories. You've got to have the, the, the outfit with the bling. <laughs> and you certainly have, and I've got to tell you right now, we're, uh, the listeners to Heart of the Bookkeeper can only listen, they can't see, mm-hmm. but uh, you've, you've got some yeah, amazing earrings rocking today. You've, and as by your own self-admission, yes. you're rocking the whole Amy Winehouse look, I think you refer to it as, <laughs> so uh, absolutely loving it. So great to have you with us, Melissa, and um, look, your story... in is one that I'm only learning, even though that I've I've known you for a little while now, since uh, especially with our connection with the ICB. Mm-hmm. Um, but your story is is quite amazing. At times, it's a little bit confronting. Yes, uh, it it's it's one of amazing resilience from my perspective, and I'm I'm obviously saying this, and you're you're not necessarily um, boasting that. It's just an incredible story. And we're going to try and unpack it as best we can. Yep. And uh, I hope that the listeners will uh, resonate with so much of your journey because it is 
I won't say a classic bookkeeper story, but it is one that so many in our community have not been able to share maybe in their time um, in various spaces. So I'm loving the fact that we've got the opportunity to tell the Melissa foot story today. Mm. Um, But to start off with, Melbourne is your home now. Melbourne, yes. from what I know, is where, you, where it all started. Mm. Is is Melbourne in your heart or is that just happened to be the place you live? Absolutely. I'm a Melbourne girl through and through. Um, the only thing I don't do that's sort of Victorian is I'm, I'm not really into AFL. Yeah, I've noticed that. I find that weird, but that's just mm. me, you know, being an absolute AFL geek. But I, I'm, I'm also finding out, for those who are tuning in, this episode is being run... Um, just after the Melbourne Cup in November of yes. 2021 and talking to a, a lot of my staff at the ICB who are based in ICB, most of them have no interest at all in going to the Melbourne Cup. In fact, they don't even do anything outrageous like we do here in Perth. I mean, yes. you can't get into a restaurant, you can't get anywhere mm. in WA on Melbourne Cup Day. So some of the stereotypes that we have about Victorians and Melbournes, I think, are a bit wrong. Uh, Melbournes, about people who live in <laughs> Melbourne are a bit wrong. So um, yes. I think it's actually quite refreshing that you don't get into AFL, Melissa. Well, Melbourne Cup as well can be a little bit messy. So the best Melbourne Cup event that I've been to was in Saigon and that was a whole lot of expats <laughs> and it was a virtual screen of the horses racing. So it was so much fun. <laughs> that is just amazing. <laughs> Here's somebody who's born, bred, lives in Melbourne and their best Melbourne Cup experience happened halfway around the world. Ho Chi Minh City, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Melbourne and certainly, you know, obviously the focus of, of our podcast is around, mm-hmm. you know, the development or the space that you got to as a bookkeeper. And I did reference the fact that by your own admission, you've used the words that you kind of became an accidental bookkeeper. Yes. How, how, how did it all evolve? Was it at school? Was there a moments where you thought, you know, that's the sort of career I want to go into? No, absolutely not. Really. Um, and, and it's funny because I'm such an accounting geek now and I'm still studying and I love it. And it's, it's something that has eventually become very natural to me. But originally I got into it through my ex-partner and um, I do his books and in the old Collins journals and mm. Excel spreadsheets and I remember also using Kalamazoo with my original first clients. So when I actually got into it, it was um, it was really basic and um, it was a, a very sort of minor introduction into the industry. But what had happened was I, I became a single mum and I was lecturing in the city. So having been a chef and in, in hospitality, I, through a girlfriend of mine, she said to me, look, Lecturing's fantastic and when you've got twin girls and, and you're breastfeeding, working till four o'clock in the morning, it doesn't doesn't work. Mm. So I was looking for something else and so a girlfriend of mine said, look, get into education, it's paid really, really well, you'd be fantastic. So I had to get over that original uh, fright, I suppose, or the shyness of getting up in front of people and speaking and lecturing and all of that. So I did that. So I educated myself to get into training. Uh, and then once I was in that, I spent a number of years in education teaching hospitality. And also they they sort of put me into tourism, but that's another story. And so I spent a number of years in corporate 
in an education environment, teaching hospitality, and I loved it. And then, but however, when you're a single mum and you start show and tell at 8.30 in the morning, and that's what I call it, show and tell, get up and (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And Mm -hmm. so my kids would be going to, say, before school care very, very early, and then I also took on a dual role where I was the employment officer for within this corporate um, educational private RTO. And so I had a double role and then I'd work till seven in the evening and then come home, grab the kids from after school care. And I thought this is just all a bit much for my kids. So I was then again looking for something else. And I had got a little bit sick of the corporate environment as well, the bureaucracy and the, the all of the stuff that goes on within, within corporate that can be a little bit annoying. I loved the job, but then I was looking for something else. So, and I'd met Gavin um, and I think I was in my early 30s and, um, and another girlfriend of mine said to me, look, I've got into bookkeeping and it's just brilliant and it's great for the hours and the flexibility and everything else and I think you should have a look at it. So once again, I went out, I re-educated myself um, and it was funny back then, that was before TASA 2009, so... You could literally start a practice and there was mm. there were no obligations. So mm. we could I went out and I did a short accounting course, I did a an MYB course and um, both in the basics and then payroll. And thought, okay, this is really cool. Um, and I still didn't understand debits and credits, but it was through using MYB that I learnt and you know, you recap the transactions and mm-hmm. that's really what mm-hmm implemented or taught me how to do the T-accounts and really understand subsidiary ledgers and all of that sort of stuff and how everything worked. And I found that I was really good at it. And I was Mm. like, okay, this is really cool. So I decided then to just start a practice, but whilst I was also in my corporate role. And I thought I'll start a practice and once I've got enough clients, I can then let go of my corporate role and so that's what I did. So basically I, I advertised, I took on a few clients, I'd sit up late at night and uh, <laughs> tippy-tappy and do the data entry <laughs> and, and get into it. And because I was worried about what I was doing and especially because we didn't have the regulations back then, I re- really wanted to know that what I was doing was correct. So I employed or contracted an accountant who... I used to pay, I think, about 250 an hour or whatever, and I'd say to him, look, I want you to check my work. And so I used him as my mentor, absolutely lovely guy, and I'd, I'd run into him at conferences, and and he'd say to me, Mel, you don't really need to know how to do that because I wanted to know how to extract things out of the balance sheet and match it to the financials from the accountants and to do the journals and all of that. So I just started really delving deeply into it. My practice grew and I had fabulous clients and it just built from there and then eventually I was able to drop that that corporate role and go into my own practice full time. Before we move on, there's two things about what that's that's an amazing journey in itself and mm. I think it's it's one that um use the word a lot, but will resonate with so many listening in because 
First thing, it's been interesting for me on this journey of, of interviewing and, and speaking with so many bookkeepers around Australia, which we're, which we're absolutely loving doing, hmm. um, but so far I haven't run across one person in our community yet that identifies with something they did back in their school days as being, you know, the driver for be, becoming a bookkeeper. It's hmm. something that I think in itself is quite an interesting conundrum, dilemma for us to consider in our community to say, well, why is that? You know, we don't, I think, I think we've all said for a while now that that's the missing piece. That's the reason why, you know, when we do our annual survey, for example, at the mm. ICB, you know, the average age of a bookkeeper is you and I, Melissa. Yes. Um, or thereabouts. So um, th- that's probably the first thing. The second thing is the wisdom that you've shown, I think, is a great lesson there for those who are just starting out. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to sort of have a foot in a couple of camps, you know, I'm going to make sure that yeah. I still have some stable income, especially in your case where um, you you were a single mum. Mm. But but you were able to grow your practice while still having, you know, some stability, I'm guessing. So Absolutely. Some, some great, you know, there's a great lesson there straight up. We're only 10 minutes into the interview and mm. you've already uh, given a bit of a pearl there, I reckon, Melissa. <laughs> Just going going back a, a, a little bit, I, um, I've noticed oh, in, a, in some conversations we have had that your dad, Alan, I believe. Yes. yep. Uh, when I asked you in a lead up to this, um, you know, who's some or the most inspirational person in your life? Yes. You didn't hesitate. You listed dad, which I just love because obviously that's a similar journey that I went on too. What was it about dad that was so inspirational for you? Look, mum and dad were both incredibly hard workers and she was there to back him as well. So I I must credit her as well. But my father was the entrepreneur of the family and he literally, with his partner next door, so we had uh, his partner of 21 years was our next door neighbour and we used to have a gate through the house uh, or through the houses. So they had three children, my parents had the three kids and we more or less grew up together and they are still their best friends to this day and they built an amazing business and literally from the ground up so um, bricks and mortar they put it all together my dad was a, a plumber originally but he must have intuitively known how to be good at business. I mean, his father was in business and did very, very well. He was a 10-pound palm and came over and did mm-hmm. very, very well in business. So I think he probably would have learnt from his father. But my dad had an amazing sense of community. And so what they did was they built squash courts in Broadmeadows. Mm. And it was across the road from the Broadmeadows Police Station, which was very fortunate. <laughs> and, well, not fortunate, but it was well-placed. So when they built the squash courts and squash used to be absolutely huge, yeah. they did brilliantly and they built this massive club. And we had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of members, um, amongst them um, Eddie McGuire and... Mm-hmm. Basically, they built it to such a size that it was a real place for people to come and they were very paternal to a lot of our members. So those kids that were a little bit lost or a bit wayward or whatever, 
they brought them into the club and and it was fantastic because they gave them sport and they gave them an outlet and Mm. they gave them community. And Mm. we used to have really big dinner dances and we'd go away on weekends away in the buses and uh, out to the snow and all sorts of things. It was it was incredible what they built. And both of them being paternal and quite strict figures, they were great because they also didn't take any rubbish from anyone. So it was just a great, it was a fantastic community. It was, it was beautiful. Mm. So when I think back on it and how hard he worked and he sacrificed a lot really to give mm. us an amazing lifestyle or or future. So he worked very, very hard and was great as uh, another paternal figure to all of these these people. And they were very well respected and, and loved for it. It, it inspires me every time I hear somebody speak so highly of their parents. Mm. Um, and, I, and I know there's many probably who, you know, for reasons that they have no control over, you know, can't speak as highly of their parents as they'd like to. Absolutely, yeah. Just, you know, uh, uh, to hear that is, um, well, I understand why he's now your most inspirational person in your life because he was doing something, you know, rocking up into a strange country or another country and he's he's taken on positively something that made an impact in the community, Mm. which is exceptional. Mm. Uh, the, The question I have, and maybe some of the listeners can help me out with this at some point, what has happened to squash? Uh, it's just kind of <laughs> disappeared off the face of the planet. I've got a brother who runs a recreation centre uh, locally and he was telling me only recently that they use the squash courts now as storage rooms because <laughs> no one plays squash anymore. Well, so. remember the song Video Killed the Radio Star? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was Olivia. Killed it was, squash. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it was Olivia Newton-John with her yeah. leg warmers. <laughs> Let's get physical, yeah, that one. Absolutely. And basically (laughs) everybody moved from playing squash to the gym. And if when maybe I'm wrong, but in my head that's what I remember. Yeah, well, we're going to rock with that. But if there's anyone out there listening to this podcast (laughs) who can solve the conundrum of what's happened to squash, squash, I'm I'm very interesting, you know, I'm very interested. Yeah. but just looking a little bit at your your timeline of of your journey, and mm-hmm. we'll get more into the bookkeeping and and the challenges that you went through yes. beyond moving into having your own practice. But you've mentioned London already. Yes. So where where did London fit in? Was that one of those I'm going off to explore the world and London's the place to be type of things? Was that, yes. That how it it, well, initially yeah. was meant to be the place that I was going to, to have bambinos and bambinas and never come back. I don't know what was going on in my head back then. (laughs) I wanted to be an Italian mama, maybe because I grew up with Italians. Um, So, yeah, my father's partners of of 21 years and our close, it's like my second second family, are Mm -hmm. Italian. And I just had this fascination with Italy. I made it as far as the UK. I met the girl's father, uh, fa- uh, yeah, and and the rest is history. So I lived there for two years. The girls, my twin girls, were born in London, mm-hmm. uh, in Greenwich. So they were born right on Greenwich. Meantime, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. So I spent two years there, but then decided to come home because, look, you find out the meaning of skint. 
in London mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also too as a female, I think, not having the support of your own family. I had the support of, of his family but it's never the same uh, and my mother-in-law at the time was very busy working and having twins, it was it was hardcore. For, for the listeners who are maybe a little bit younger, um, just a bit of interpreting there, the word skint is uh, very much an <laughs> 80s word and that means you got no money if yes. you weren't quite sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah we, were, we were always skint back in the 80s, weren't we? Yeah, if you've got 20, <laughs> if you had 20p in your purse, yeah. it meant that you could make maybe two phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to and be that safe. Was pretty, that was pretty much close to skint as mm, you could get. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> So th- then the, the, the reality is you're back here in Australia. You've yes. Got, you've got twins at that point with, yes. what, a couple of years old at that stage. Um, yeah, I think they're only about one actually. Yeah. Mm. And, and so was that about the time that you started on, you know, looking at the bookkeeping um, no, process or was it a little I bit I actually went straight back into hospitality because that was easy and I knew it. So... H- had you, um, you'd been a, you'd been a trained chef at that point? Yes. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was a qualified okay. chef but I... Once I qualified, I, I went, okay, this is all a bit much and I don't see myself doing this long term for the rest of my life because it's too harsh, it's too full on. And I, I couldn't see myself as a, I don't know, 50, 60-year-old woman still pulling around big bags of carrots that are, you know, 20 k's or 20 kgs or um, something similar to that. And it's also a very stressful environment. It's um, very male-dominated. There's uh, lots of fire and knives and it's all a bit crazy. And I was a head chef and but just decided. Mm. So I went into front of house, was managing restaurants. So when I came back, because I had so many friends in hospitality, I just fell back into it and uh had to sort of raise some money and all of that sort of thing and get myself back together because I was re-establishing myself. So it was just easy to get back into hospitality and that's when I sort of discovered a while afterwards and it was fun and I loved it and it's an addictive industry because there's a certain adrenaline rush you get from being in that industry and, and also being a sociable person. You meet so many people and it's wonderful. But... Yeah, the I breastfed the girls, both girls, until they were 12 months old. And, yeah, I came back. Actually, they were probably six months old. So at that stage, it's like, you know what, I can't really do this, work until four in the morning and manage my kids. And that's when a girlfriend of mine suggested I, I get into education. So I've been on a bit of a 360 navigation of my wind. career, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah really, yeah. because I then started lecturing in hospitality, loved that, was really good at it, got over my fear of public speaking and then uh, spent, I think, about quite a long time in that field and in corporate and then decided, look, as a single mum, I'm doing too many hours, my kids are in too much care, I'm going to try and find something else. And that's when another girlfriend of mine said to me, look, bookkeeping's great, it's as good a money as what you're earning, if not better. Um, you should try and get into this. So that's when I re-educated myself and did that as a sideline um, so that then I could give up corporate and walk away and go into bookkeeping solely. Uh, so that was in, I started my practice, I think, in 2002. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so very early days of GST. Oh, absolutely. This on, uh, we've talked about this quite regularly on Heart of the Bookkeeper, you know, amazing mm. days. It was kind of like, you know, pick a client because there was that many of them. They Abs- were just everywhere. Yes. Everybody was seeking help, people wanted. So, again, I think, you know, my understanding of your journey led you to go down a similar path to perhaps me and many others mm. around that time to not only just look at the bookkeeping aspect but the educational side of it and yes. the the teaching side of bookkeeping. So do you want to explain a little bit sort of how that came about or how that evolved? Yeah, so I had my practice and I was missing the education side of things. I really, and I thought after a number of years in practice, I thought I really miss that side of things in terms because I love education because mm. education is amazing because you can change people's lives and mm. it had changed mine. Mm, and good. I knew how much as a single mum being re-educated had just changed everything for me and so I wanted to be able to get what was in my head and I I got to a stage where I felt so comfortable in industry and that I knew a lot that I wanted to take what I had in my head and then give it back. Mm. So I decided um, to basically get back around probably 2009, 2010 to go back into training and education, but this time from a bookkeeping and accounting perspective. Mm-hmm. So I started out with short courses and that was really successful and it just built from there and I moved, started out in the Port Melbourne Community Hub mm-hmm. and then moved to a warehouse premises that I shared with someone in Footscray. It was a really cool warehouse and we had beautiful mm-hmm. view of the docks and um, and that was fun. And then from there, once it just kept growing and so I then moved to Queens Road and that then became too small and that's when I took on my first employee. And I maintained my practice on the side but I had to let a number of clients go because it just kept growing and a lot of them <laughs> went kicking and screaming. They were holding, it was like they were holding onto the bottom of my pants going, and I'm like kicking them off going, no, I've, you know, I've, I've, I'm on this different journey and I love education. And I eventually went into an auspice arrangement with someone in uh, Queensland. And so there were a number of us, along with Leanne Berry and Rochelle Park and, and so many other people that you would know of, and we joined into uh, a partnership. And so that's how I originally started back on my RTO journey. So we, under the auspice arrangement, I would deliver for that particular private RTO, um, but in my own premises. So I went into the Docklands. I ended up with offices in the Docklands. Uh, We had three offices and one of those being a training room. I think I spent 11 years there. So, yeah, so that would have been about 2010. So it grew very, very quickly and we had to move into larger premises quite quickly. And I wanted a presence too because there are a lot of RTOs that have just an online presence and it's not always great because it's people need to trust uh, the industry. 
So could I ask you, I'm going to jump in at this point. Mm. So I think mm. this is something, you know, say, you know, you say somebody's tuning into this now and they're yes. going, look, I've just started my, my bookkeeping journey and oh, I'm loving what I'm hearing, you know, the, the direction Melissa went down. Yeah. Do you think there's still opportunity for that now or is that, that changed? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe there is. I I love this industry because really you can go off in so many directions, can't you? You could go into, I love, I'm a real geek. I love audits and I love tax law. (laughs) I'm really good at law. (laughs) And I'm actually thinking about doing combined tax law, um, tax, sorry, tax and law degree. Um, And just through becoming a consultant eventually and a management accountant and going into those areas more, um, I ended up doing quite a bit of fraud work and audits. And so it really depends on your interest and what you enjoy doing. See, if I talk about an audit, most people are like, yeah, Ew, you know, yeah. that's awful. <laughs> what are you doing? But I like the forensics of it. I like um, mm. the madness of what mm. people do and the stories and how I've been able to help people as a consultant going in and, and fixing things or getting messy files and, you know, fixing those. So I tend to enjoy some of the messy stuff and then also the training. So a lot of my clients now, I tend to sort of go with what do they need and then mm-hmm. I'll fit into what they need. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's I suppose, I think in this industry, it's wonderful because you could say, oh, well, I want to go off and do education or... Yeah, so many opportunities, isn't there? And I think, you know, there seems to be this little whisper on the wind, a myth, whatever you want to call it, that's saying, oh, those days are gone and, you know, everything's online now and that's Mm. the only way people will engage with with training. I've got to say I disagree. I think there's wonderful opportunity I know here Mm. still to this day, you know, I'm I'm bringing this podcast from our um, training centre in Eaton, just outside of Western Australia, I, I can put a shingle out the front saying training course and people just rock up in Absolutely. Drugs, you know, so the opportunities are still very much there. People, I think, especially at the back end of COVID and lockdown and that are craving, mm. you know, that face-to-face opportunity. It may, You may have to pivot. It may not be exactly how you and I did it back yep. in the 2000s. You've got to be wise about how you go about it. But I really believe that opportunity is there and your story exemplifies how, you know, you can get success through bookkeeping through a number of different ways. It's not just necessarily doing bookkeeping. Yeah, such. absolutely. Yeah. And you can extend your career. So that's what I'm doing at the moment and I'm doing my tax agent units at the moment. And it's up to you whether you want to pull back on that. I mean, there's a yeah. whole lot of accountants who also then go, I don't want to run a traditional accounting practice. I much yeah. prefer being a bookkeeper because it's yeah. much more intimate, it's more... Yeah. Um, closely aligned with the day-to-day of your clients and helping them out in different ways. And also, too, if you look at education, really there's the blended mode of delivery so you can have some online, some face-to-face, but I do still love the face-to-face. I mean, I used to go and and run seminars all around Australia, Mm. so I'd do Mm. Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide would sort of complain and say, why aren't you coming over here? Um, but it always <laughs> comes down to bums on seats, doesn't it? Mm. But um, and also I, th- I think about the conferences and you look at I can't wait to go back to mm-hmm. 
the Intuit conferences, the QBOs, the sorry, the Zeros, the MYBs, because there's nothing like it. They obviously had to pivot and do the online conferences, but it's never the same. No, and I, I'm guessing, you know, you've you've just clearly missed the most obvious one, the ICB conference that yes. you just are absolutely hanging for, aren't you, Melissa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, excuse we, uh, me, we, as a non-executive director, how could I forget that? <laughs> we've just announced for those who are tuning in that mm. we are absolutely fully intending a full-on mm. face-to-face summit, as we now call it, next year. And uh, we just can't wait. And we've also, and in some breaking news, um, we definitely will be making every attempt to be face-to-face for our end-of-year seminars as well and workshops. So uh, we're really, really thrilled that that can happen. Um, I'm in Western Australia. I've just got to get the wall taken down that's Mm. between me and the rest of you guys, that's all. So we're hoping that will happen sooner rather than later. Well, I Um, think it's it's so important because, I mean, look at our community and we are relatively small in some ways and... I've made so many wonderful friendships over the years mm. um, and people I travel with specifically and, and you and I were talking about the network meetings. I've mm-hmm. been doing those for now almost 11 years mm-hmm. um, and one of my closest friends now is is someone that I met through the network meetings and we travel together for the conferences and I think there's so many wonderful partnerships and friendships that come from these events that we have together where we have that massive sense of community and support for one another. Yeah. And the other aspect of it, even though it's been the saviour for us in COVID, I spoke to somebody the other day that said, seriously, if I have to do one more Zoom meeting, I think I'm <laughs> going to go nuts. You know, I know. You know, there's, there's a lot of people out there who are just craving that opportunity to go and stand yes. across a, like we do, stand across a table at lunchtime and enjoy mm. some curry out of a buffet or whatever and, and have I a know. chat. You know, so really looking forward to that. Who would have thought... People would want to bite the bullet to get into into their offices too. I mean, yeah. people are doing that as well. Who would have ever thought that that staff would be doing that? And I'm also thinking of a few buffets that I've been to. That I'm not <laughs> super keen on that, but uh, certainly the conversation. So uh, I really want to have a chat about somebody that has obviously you mentioned your dad and your mum and mm-hmm. the inspiration they had, but somebody who, you know, I think, from what I know, you know, changed your life in so many ways. Yes. That's a, a young man called Gavin that yes. uh, you uh, you met uh, about, well, around about the same time as you went on your bookkeeping journey from, if I've got my math right, mm-hmm. about 20 years ago or thereabouts. Yep. So yep. tell us a little bit about Gav. Well, the anniversary date's very easy to remember. It's, it's the 1st of April, so April Fool's Day, year 2000. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, I was with him for 21 years and married for 16. And he was just the most incredibly supportive, beautiful, kind, generous man who just supported me in everything that I did. And he was always there behind me, pushing me along and going, you've got this Mel. Um, and and we just worked really, really well together and uh, he had his own pursuits and, and business and interests and then eventually he uh, came and joined in the RTO and in the business together and we just had a wonderful time really. 
Mm. We were just, I'm so very lucky and fortunate to have been in such a fantastic marriage and also one where I could share my life and my business and because it's quite hard when you're married to to work with someone Mm. as well. Mm. So we spent almost 24-7 together. Uh, So, but it was just an incredible partnership and um, friendship and and all of those things. And I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Gav had his share of health battles and we're not going to go deep into that. Yeah. We're not going to go deep into that. And one of the things that, you know, you and I talked about in the lead up to this was that there's too many challenges and too many things to try and unpack in, in this story mm. that uh, could be viewed as negative and yet you, you've constantly said to me, you know, despite all of those challenges, Gav just constantly was a positive glass half full sort of guy and that's obviously flown, sort of infected you as well along Mm. the way because I I sense that in you and the way that you've you've dealt with his challenges and and along the way you had a few health challenges of your own. You you were telling me of uh, uh, a moment where the dreaded breast cancer conversation became a reality. Do Mm -hmm. you want to tell us a little bit about that or...? Uh, that was a, an absolute shock uh, in terms of it doesn't exist or it's not in my family. And so therefore it was quite random. It was like, where's this come from? Um, and because I have got that positive nature, I don't like to dwell on it. And even when I was diagnosed formally and it happened very, very, very quickly and it was quite accidental how it was found, I decided that I needed to laugh about this. So we, Gav and I sat in the hospital and said, right, what are we going to call the cancer in my breast? And so we called it Barry. And when they, there was a Barry Jr. (laughs) 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 So just to, and I suppose I don't make light of things, but I also don't want to sit there and go, uh, this is going to beat me. Um, and so, and, be, and our positive attitude towards um, all of those challenges was really important in the way in which we lived our lives. So, because we basically decided that every day, live every day as if it were your last. And so, and that's what we did. We travelled a lot. We went out a lot. Um, um, we were I'm I'm a young grandmother. I was a a grandmother at 45. I was an empty nester relatively early. So um, it's been wonderful in that we could just do whatever we wanted whenever we wanted. So Mm. we were always out and having fun and, uh, yeah, travelling. We worked hard and we played hard. Yeah. And that's how we lived our lives. And he and I uh, had a similar very, well, obviously very similar personalities in the, in the way that we sort of looked at things and we just didn't ever like to dwell on the negative. Uh, we had obviously incredibly challenging times, but you deal with those but then um, and then you just move forward. One of the challenges also along with you know, your breast cancer journey um, that, that Gav battled with a little bit was something that uh, I've only just 
heard of or come into an understanding of recently called Marfans and I know that you've got a little bit of a passion for for that cause or that mm. um, that disease. Do yes. you want to explain to everybody what Marfans is? So it's um, something that he was, uh, was, was born with and so it's a genetic disorder. It often runs in families and it's a, a, it's a genetic um, disorder of the connect, it affects the connective tissue. So connective tissue being in the eyes, heart, um, limbs. So um, there's a lot of things that it affects. And um, Gavin always used to giggle and say that he was the poster boy for Marfan's because it's almost like on a range of how mild it could be or how how full on it is. And he was just a more or less, and I hate to say this, but like a freak of nature because his parents' genes together um, he didn't inherit it. He actually, that their genes when they combined. Um, so his brother doesn't have it, but but he did. So he was only expected to live to the age of three, which would have been absolutely a horrible thing to have been told. And his parents just absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that 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 was the condition. It's quite complex to sort of go into it. There's there's a lot. Um, to discuss, but uh, he had um, a number of major operations, the biggest one being in 2009 and um, that was about 18 hours that he spent on the table and um, Mm. so and after that I almost lost him a number of times. So... Mm. Mm. um, and unfortunately, until his eventual passing, which was last year. Mm. Mm. Yeah. His, um, I, I love the way you just said that, you know, he wasn't expected to live past three, but mm. he did. What a blessing for his parents, your yes. your, uh, your uh, in-laws, and, mm. and then to come into your life and yes. to be able to do the th- live the life that he did with you and mm. you with him. Mm. What an amazing story that is in itself. And we, you know, we celebrate his life because yes. of that, because he he shed sunshine into his parents and into you and mm. no doubt your daughters and, yes. and other people around him, you know. So what a celebration it is for his life and I'm sure you now get the opportunity to reflect on that but, mm. in a, in a, like you say, in a positive way and celebrate yes. him and everything he stood for and everything he did and mm. and. Uh, I'm guessing now, Melissa, you know, the, the the opportunity is there for you to be part of something that he was a part of and that was your grandkids. Yes. And I heard you uh, yesterday, we had a quick conversation on the phone and you had a little <laughs> one running around in the background. Uh, is it Nana or Grandma or what? I'm what, glammy. What, 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 I'm glammy. glammy. Oh, yeah, that's so <laughs> fitting. Yes, absolutely, yeah. My, I said to my daughter, I'll be Grammy M. He was Grams. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, I'll be Grammy, Grammy M and she she said, no, Mum, you're glammy. And I said, <laughs> she got that from Beverly Hills, one of those awful housewives shows or something. So, yeah, that's what I've been crowned. I think it's a little bit fitting, I've got to tell you. I reckon they <laughs> nailed that one. So, um, yeah, so is it two granddaughters or a grandson and a granddaughter? Two granddaughters. So one eight, yep, yes. and, um, and my little strawberry shortcake, she's four. <laughs> 
Well, I hope Glammy's, um, you know, spending a little bit of time educating them on the um, the uh, effectiveness of a good earring. You know, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the littlest one, she goes into my wardrobe and she loves yep. all the rings and all of that. So she starts. <laughs> so I think she's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, look, we're um, starting to get towards the back end and I know, yes. I know because you told me you've got uh, a bit of a, an opportunity to go out tonight and we're celebrating everybody in Melbourne who can go out, you know, and yes. uh, have a nice wine or just and sit outside. And a bit outside of sunshine. And, bit of sunshine, yeah, so I don't mm. want to hold you up on that but I'm going to keep you for a few more minutes. Uh, the the other little passion, well, not little passion, I, I'm suspecting it's a mm. big passion that I'm really interested in, is when I asked you where do you call home, you listed Melbourne, of course. Yes. But you also listed Vietnam. Yes. What, so tell me about Vietnam. What's the Vietnam story? Uh, look, I travelled there um, and we just basically fell in love with it. And I live in Melbourne's west and... I've always enjoyed even going into Collingwood and Fitzroy originally and and eating Vietnamese food. I just really love it. And being an ex-chef and Mm. I I really enjoy the food and I find it clean and beautiful and the culture, I really enjoy the people. They're funny, they're resilient. And so we went there, fell in love, and I've been there now seven times With my RTO, I looked at investing into Vietnam and and perhaps expanding um, out into Vietnam because I just loved it so much. I ended up with staff as well in Vietnam and and that was fantastic because I couldn't find staff here in Melbourne. The two candidates I had, they were just totally unsuitable and I thought, right, I'm going to bite the bullet. They're all trained accountants through RMIT and doing um, Australian accounting work. So they were, and some of them who have lived in Australia and got their qualifications in Australia, one of my girls who's still with me, uh, she was trained in Adelaide. So, yeah, and and until I I don't have those staff now because I sold my RTO last year, Um, but it was just a wonderful connection. I went over to Vietnam, I interviewed all of the girls, so I would go there for business as well as for personal. So we had some really long trips, so nice six-week trips. And to me, it's just a country of beautiful, beautiful people. It's stunningly beautiful. There's great food. The culture's amazing. The people are funny. Yeah, I just, I just, I love it. So I've got numerous clients who have said the same over, you know, trips where, you mm. know, as, as bookkeepers we go and we become invested in people's lives and we sit next to them and we help them with their uh, journeys. Um, yes. And I've got several clients that I can think of straight up who have said to me, Rob, you have to put Vietnam on your bucket list. Mm. And and it's quite interesting, you know, from our era, obviously our thought, our immediate thought, you, you know completely different, mm. but for many of us, you go, Vietnam, or we remember is those, you know, black and white, you know, movie uh, mo- uh, moments on TV with yes. everyone blowing each other up and all mm. that sort of stuff. So mm. it, it's interesting that a country that was so torn apart yes. not so long ago in our history is now rated as one of the most beautiful places and you've just uh, explained that. And so. also too, I think they're just the most welcoming and beautiful people despite what has happened to them. Mm. They still, they have been able to forgive and mm. allow 
people back into their country and they they get on with it. And so I suppose the way that they work, the way that they live really resonates with me and I just, I'm not fluent in um, Vietnamese, but I just decided because I'm there so much, I needed to invest in learning the language. I didn't want to be arrogant enough to walk in and go, well, they should speak English. So I, mm. I sort of flipped it. They find it quite weird when um, <laughs> an Australian woman speaks Vietnamese, but they also <laughs> love it. So, uh, and, and I'm happy to do that and it makes for better connections and a, a, a fun trip and each time I go back I just keep picking up more and more and more and I just, um, so it's quite a random <laughs> thing to to study and engage in but because I love the country so much and I don't see myself not going there ongoing yes. as my second home and we actually even yep. considered at one stage how can we live perhaps in Ho Chi Minh as expats and, and yep. build our business there. Um, yeah, so it's just a bit of a passion of mine. Well, you never say never and mm. um, we're hopefully moving back into a world where we will be able to just hop on that plane and head oh. to Ho Chi Minh or wherever it might be very soon. So, I yeah. can't wait. Yes, we're, we're, I think we've all got that, that place in mind already that we yes. know as soon as it opens, we're off. So uh, looking forward to that. Well, and. Uh, so, oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say I've still got a, a, a credit because I was we were very naughty when we sold the business. Yes, <laughs> you told me this. Yeah, you was, were still there when it all happened. Yeah, you? yeah. yeah. Um, Morrison was saying, come home, come home. I remember that coming up on my phone on about the 17th of March and we were like, oh, no coronavirus, what's that? That's just silly. Yeah. And I also caught up with a girlfriend of mine from London who I hadn't seen for 25 years and she'd gone off north and we were down south in Fuok and um, we were trying to extend our dates until we sort of went, oh, KL, we were going to go back home via KL and Malaysia closed their borders two days before we were about to leave and we're like, "Mm, hang on a minute, I think we better go home. (laughs) So we were lucky we managed to get the last commercial or second last commercial flight out of uh, Ho Chi Minh so make it back home and all of our staff were uh, and family were going what are you doing Mm. you two are just crazy please (laughs) get back home so Mm. yeah what a a great uh, in a weird (laughs) sort of way what a a great memory and what a great story to tell those grandies of yours yeah absolutely so glad I did it yeah about the day you uh, you beat Corona for a few hours. <laughs> well, we're going to sort of wind up now, mm-hmm. but I have a process, a game that I play, you may be aware of it, called Debits and Credits. At the end of every session <laughs> of um, Heart of the Bookkeeper, we uh, we fire four rapid questions. It is debits, Friday night, credits. you know. I know, yeah. I'm going to, you know, you mentioned before you weren't really good with your debits and credits, so this should be interesting. I used but, uh, to not be good with yeah. my debits and credits. <laughs> So this is a little bit, this is a twist on debits and credits because um, these are four quick questions with, you know, you can answer as long as you want, but preferably quick questions. Pay attention. Um, We we class the debits as being 
sort of a bit more serious, the debit question, whereas the credit side of the ledger, uh-huh. I, I keep saying this every episode, but I don't know. I just think that's the fun side, you know. That's sort of the nightclub of the ledger, I reckon. <laughs> and your gonna, liabilities yeah, and your credit cards. <laughs> go and smash the credit yeah, card. You're just going nuts, aren't you, yeah, with the, <laughs> with the credit side of it. So I don't know. That's a bit weird. But, yeah, um, yeah. Also, so, oh, well, yeah. also, it's income too. So Well, you that's know. exactly right. Yeah, that's right. I, yeah absolutely. We yeah, love you, the money. You, we want the money coming in, so yep. that's got to be the credit side, you know, you don't want to go out. So, um, <laughs> so, all right, so here we go. Two yeah. debits and two credits. First question, first, <laughs> first debit is we've all in our um, practices, in our uh, journeys as a bookkeeper, we've always had that client, yep. a client that has just been somebody you just go, I'm going to try and help you, but you are just, you know, so difficult to deal yep. with. Have you had one of those? Have you had oh, one I've of those clients where you've had plenty of those? <laughs> Heaps of one? those. <laughs> no names, no names. We don't want any lawsuits on hard. Yeah, the yep. I have a, yeah. a, a, you know, a no D head policy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be dumb head, I'm guessing. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that a debit or a credit? That's a debit, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right, well, I won't push you too much on, on specifics on that one, but yep. uh, I, I think you're just acknowledging what many mm-hmm. of us and those that are listening in are going, yeah, yeah, we've all got one of those. Yes, in inverted, inverted have, had comments. a few of those. So if you were to if you were to look back across your long career and you've still got plenty of time ahead of you by mm-hmm. the way but uh, if you look back, look back across your bookkeeping journey yeah. have you got a fave moment you know a moment that you just go I just you know, that was probably when you arrived or you felt that you were really, really loving bookkeeping at that point. Is there any sort of one oh, pivotal there's moment? A, there's a few. But being able to save a business from a massive fraud uh, that was internal, that yeah. was pretty incredible. Dealing yeah. with the federal police, a uh, bookkeeper's house that was working with me. I think we had 25 active MYB company files and I was like, okay, what's going on here? So yeah. I wrote an audit report and took did a, an immediate capture of everything at that moment because I thought I need to capture this moment so that I'm not implicated in this. So this was before the police got involved and I just thought mm, this is uh, all a bit weird um, so, because you know, when you look at a set of books and the balance sheet, and you go, "Okay, none of this is working." No. Um, so, yeah, that was really exciting, and and I um, am so glad that I I basically did that audit report and sent it through to the the managing director and the accountants because I literally desperately needed to make sure that I wasn't implicated in something. Mm. 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 Some great lessons in there straight mm. up, but also just that, you know, and a lot of people outside of bookkeeping would probably find it a bit weird, but just the exhilaration of knowing you'd made a huge impact and yes. a huge difference in that situation. Yes. Yeah, I can understand why you're referencing that as a favourite mm. moment across that time. Mm. But back to the debit side, back to the not so, you know, back out of the, the, the nightclub now. Um, yes. <laughs> the, you've just been through uh, you and so many in Melbourne and in Victoria and New South Wales, mm. such an extensive long lockdown period. Yep. What, what, what's the number one major thing you've 
found as a challenge in lockdown? What, what's what's the hard, been the hardest thing? Look, for me, it was the loneliness and it being like Groundhog Day, I suppose. It's that sense of when is this going to end? So yeah. it was so unpredictable and the final lockdown, which obviously was, I don't know, what was it, 6.0, which went to 6.2, 6.5, 6. 6.6. It's like a, an earthquake or something. But um, it, I really found that that massively affected everybody I spoke to. So no one was coping at in those final lockdowns where they just kept on getting extended. And the unpredictability and so what I did was I thought I need to, I, I switched things around. I, I decided that I needed to get healthy. I needed to engage with the community, get out there with my chihuahuas in the pram and in the front of my, <laughs> and in the front of my bike and make people smile and laugh and connect. And so I did that from the start of lockdown, but I just noticed the further that we went, the more there was just this massive sense of community in, I mean, Altona. So I'd go down to the beach and it was just really important to get out there and engage with people because people were really suffering. And I have a lot of gratitude for my, what would you say, my privilege and mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I am and for everything that I have So and, and my um being so fortunate. So it was important for me to get out there and as much as I possibly could, just connect with people and say hi and how are you doing and make people laugh with the dogs and things like that. Yeah, that's um, inspirational in itself, Melissa, Mm -hmm. and and just, you know, the fact that you, you know, have had only just recently lost Gav and have had to go through that Mm. is... um, yeah. Well, that, um, it kept me sane. I think yeah, having yeah. getting out into the sunshine, so I just thought fresh air, sun, I need to get out there each day Wonderful. and that really helped. Wonderful. Wonderful. Mm. All right, last question before we bring this uh, great um, conversation <laughs> to an end and I'm sad that we have to do that, but uh, so this is the final credit. Now, yep. you told me you have both cats and dogs. So yes. you've got two chihuahuas. yes. And two cats. Yes. Okay. So, you know, the world deems that you're either a dog person or you're a cat person. Mm. Oh, you're just an animal lover, I'm guessing. I love right? animals, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the dogs, the, um, the, the crazy dog lady bit, where does that yes. come from? Yeah. Look, and it's funny because you know how, what's this saying? Oh, my other cars are whatever. I used to have Rottweilers. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You've gone so from one I, extreme to the other. <laughs> so I had four males and the biggest one actually, and not all at the same time, the biggest one, the first one I had, he was over 60 kilos. He was a big boy, big head. Yes, yes. So, um, but I also had a Shih Tzu Maltese cross and the last male that I had when she passed away of old age, he went into a bit of a depression. So I decided to go and find another girlfriend for him and that's, I I, I got my first rescue chihuahua Um, and she was the new girlfriend for my my male Roddy. 
Um, and then he passed away. And so this rescue chihuahua, she's got a luxating patella and she also had a really, really hard time. She spent four and a half years in a cage. She was from a, um, a puppy farm. And so she didn't know what grass was. She didn't know what having a, um, going for a walk was. So I had to train her, but having her injury, I then ended up as the crazy dog lady because she, I needed my exercise, but she would only walk so far. And I used to carry her in this bag around my body and then it got way too hot and too heavy and it was like, no, 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 I can't do my big 6K or whatever walks with her in my body. So I just bit the bullet and became the crazy dog lady. And so now I have one chihuahua that goes into the pram and then I've also got this fantastic <laughs> bag that goes onto the front of my bike and I take them out. So, And I'm just like, you know what, don't care. Everyone can laugh at me. That's fine. <laughs> that's a that's a must have photo at some time. Yes, I've got to yeah. get that photo. Yeah, we we might might rock that as the uh, the cover sheet for this particular podcast, maybe <laughs> at some stage. But uh, yeah, Melissa, look, thank you for being you know so willing. First of all, to to share with us today, mm. um, your your journey, especially in the last twelve months, has been you know difficult by anybody's standards, and and. And, you know, we've tried not to focus too much on that because I know that that's not something you'd like to do and your positivity mm. shines through constantly. Um, you've got so much to look forward to. So thank you for being so candid. Thank you for joining us on Heart of the Bookkeeper. We celebrate your incredible career to date and we look forward to so much that you've got still ahead of you. And um, we thank you for the input and the and the way that you give back to the, the bookkeeping community as well. So... I'll give you the last word, but thank you, Melissa. Oh, thank you. Uh, look, I, it's been an absolute pleasure and joy. I've really enjoyed this. So um, and thank you for asking me to be here and, and to share my story. So um, it's been lots of fun. Fantastic. And and I'm, I'm pretty certain that as soon as this is over, it's straight to the uh, the dressing room for a fresh set of earrings. But we'll, let, we'll see how that one goes. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, into, I'm into the Uber. Off, off into to, the Uber, right. Yeah, into the Uber. Being a responsible well, person, off to have a, a lovely drink in the sun or what, what's you, left of it. What's left of it. You enjoy. And uh, thank you again, Melissa. And we'll, uh, we'll see you, no doubt, very soon at a, uh, a conference or a buffet somewhere very soon. So, yes. Uh, Hopefully. To it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Melissa, we simply want to honour your amazing Gavin and his life and thank you for being so willing to tell a bit of his story. But just as importantly, we want to thank you for your incredible story and journey. Thank you, Melissa. We raise a cup to you as we raise a cup to all bookkeepers at this time during Global Bookkeeping Week. So please join us again, folks, on our next episode of Heart of the Bookkeeper. Stay safe and stay well, and we love your heart.